artists can swear, you know, the, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. We're done. All right, honey, pick up within five minutes, 1850. Okay, that's fine. That's what they were getting. It's all like artists, bars, and white wine. <laughs> yeah, artists, you in a bar? Um, no, in a restaurant. We've been waiting for a lift home for 45 minutes. 45 minutes. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, here you go. Okay. I finally booked one, but they made me pay double. Yeah. So we canceled. They kept saying waiting, waiting, waiting. And so we canceled, and now they doubled the price. So. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> and both of them, it was Uber and Lyft. They both we're having problems. I don't know if they're short drivers tonight. So it looks oh, like we've got one coming now in five minutes. So, <laughs> so oh, we're going to go. I, I waited an hour and a half to pass me for a lift. Well, we it's had a Valentine's all over the country. We had a doctor's appointment. And so we just went next door and ate some dinner. But we figured we'd be home by 630. Well. Okay. It's Thursday with Valentine's. It, oh, that could be. Maybe that's the deal. I didn't think about that. It's, that's it's because, right. It's because of the Uber Eats ads during the Super Bowl. <laughs> I could be. Okay, well, it sounds like it's here now, so it should be a, an adventure. And then it cooled way down tonight, and I forgot to bring a sweater along, so. <laughs> that's so crazy. So anyway, now we're outside. It's been very annoying <laughs> if we would have, if we were known to cancel and pay a higher price, so we could have got home sooner. Well, you know, but <laughs> oh, weird. That's what you have when you do Uber and Lyft. But I forgot all about the fact that it was Valentine's Day and that they might be short drivers. Yeah. That didn't oh, even yeah. occur to me. Yeah. 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 Hey. I took my girlfriend out earlier tonight. We ended up waiting an hour and a half. Wow. Oh, is that, wow. <laughs> well, the restaurant wasn't busy. I mean, the restaurant wasn't very busy, but it was just a local diner. It was just right up the street. We went to chiropractor you know, right after the board meeting. And they're really fast with their service. So we thought, oh, we'd easy how be back. But we didn't even think about Uber. How romantic. You both went to the chiropractor <laughs> together. <and> chiropractor. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, he's taking me out for a nice dinner Thursday night. We just did the diner next door tonight. Just for expedience. <laughs> Power pulled up here, so I'm checking to see if it's him. Although it said arriving soon, so usually that doesn't mean it's it. So who's all on here? My name I'm is Melty Young. This is William Daniel Artist. Oh, hi, William. How are you? Good, good, good. It's been a hectic day. People are registering like crazy on the... <laughs> oh, good, good. I had, one, I had one register right before I left. While I was out at dinner, I checked my email... And somebody on leadership said, hey, we're looking to see how we can register. <laughs> yeah, I see that, yeah. yeah. For Sage Rush. <laughs> and I said, well, I'll, yeah. I'll catch you when I get home. <laughs> yeah, I think that was Sherry Williams or somebody like Yeah, that. Sherry Williams. Well, the funny thing is, she's one of our speakers. And I thought I had her correct email address, but obviously not. Although this might be a different Sherry Williams, too, because that's kind of a common name. So who knows? We'll find out because uh, she had the email address up there. <laughs> and it was just uh, Sherry Williams at Compass, whereas the one I had was like Sherry with a number. So I don't know. She was on my list of people to call and check for speakers. <laughs> so did the chiropractor straighten you guys out? Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> it was funny because we usually go in about once a month. Just uh, it makes I don't know, just makes you feel better. And uh, we hadn't been in since December. Well, then January, Kevin got COVID, so he took him two weeks to get negative. And then, of course, a couple weeks ago, I got this really nasty sinus infection. So, <laughs> so we haven't been able to get in for since December. So. Well, good evening, all. Hey there. Hello. Good evening. How's everybody doing? Good, good, good. Uh, so who joined us now? Ron. Still no sound. <laughs> Hi, Ron. Hey, Ron. Hi. My name is Melta Young. Oh, okay. Glad to see you. Thank yeah, you. From Tennessee. Well, did everybody have a great Valentine's Day? I'm busy. <laughs> <laughs> I can hum a few bars of that one. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I'm, I'm, I have to say between events here tonight, we, we did have our heart-shaped pizza. So, yeah. Oh, cool. All yeah. right. <laughs> very nice. Oh, great, great. Was it a specialty pizza? Or? Papa Murphy's, and they do it every Valentine's Day. They used to make a regular pizza that they put pepperonis in the shape of a heart. But this right. year, the pizza is the shape of a heart. So that was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, that does sound cool. I like thin crust, crispy. So is anybody binge-watching any shows lately? No, I not me. Watch, I just watching Navy Seals on, on uh, Prime Plus. Okay. I watched all of them. On HBO Max right now, they have a series going on called The Gilded Age. And it's about people in New York City back in the 1880s, 1884, I believe the storyline is set at. And uh, it's been super interesting. It just really has been. Uh, of course, you've got the well-to-do families and uh, a new family moves in across the street from this lady and her family who are old money. And they're quick to tell you and remind you they are old money. And the people across the street are dastardly. They're new money. <laughs> so it's been very good. Of course, having been to New York City numerous times, it's kind of fun to see uh, what they're portraying things look like back uh, in 1884 opposed to now. And some, some of the landmarks once in a while, you're like, oh, hey, I might know where that is. So, yeah, that's pretty cool. 170 years. Oh, no, 140 years ago. Yes, exactly. Well, I have a, a few topics we can talk about tonight to kind of get uh, ice broken and get to know each other a little bit, if you folks would like to do that. We thought we were going to tell us some of your jokes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, you guys didn't have to pay a cover tonight. So, you know, <laughs> if you did, then I'd consider going into my good bag of jokes. But, uh, well... <laughs> We'll have to hang on to them for later. <laughs> I've got kind of an interesting one to start out with here. Kind of curious from everybody. Uh, I'm assuming, like me, you all are pizza fans. Uh, anybody care to share their favorite kind of pizza and where it comes from? I like barbecue pizza, and it comes from CC. Uh, okay. Oh, we love the chicken barbecue at Gourmet Pizza, which is right around the corner. But they sold out to a new pizza called New York Style, and we can't stand it. Oh, pizza. no. <laughs> oh, no. They're gone. <laughs> I, I like Domino's. Sandwiches Crispy thin. Oh, yeah. I've, I've developed a taste for 
thin crust pizzas myself these days, and mm. uh, they have a chain of them throughout the Twin Cities. I don't know if they have any throughout the country, but uh, boy, we've tried a number of things here, and it's all been just super high quality and just really good. So from their pizzas to their pastas, we had a pasta and a salad the other night. Oh, even the salad was just fantastic. And red wine to go. Dan, are you a pizza eater at all? Oh, yeah. What do you uh, like? Hawaiian pizza. <laughs> okay. Should, traditional Canadian bacon and pineapple and cheese. You mm. got it. Nothing like <laughs> Where do you get it from? You know, we got a local one here, Pizza Del Rey. Okay. They do a fantastic job with it. Cool. The nice thing about it, I'm I'm the only one in the family that really, really likes it. The rest tolerate it. So I, I get my share of it. You always get your share and then some. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. How about you, Kim? What kind of pizza do you like? You're not going to believe it, I'm going to tell you. The Grotto's at the Golden Nugget. <laughs> <laughs> That's good pizza. I have had it, yes. Thin crust pepperoni. I order my own. Whoever's with me is like, oh, that sounds good. No, you better order your own. I'm eating the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. How about you, Rick? My favorite pizza is any kind of pizza. Ah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> show no favoritism. <laughs> I know I what kind of frozen you like. That. You told me that. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, I had a really interesting pizza yesterday. DiGiorno's now makes a pizza crust made out of croissando. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> and it was really wild because I put it on a rack to cook right in a in a in a um, toaster oven. And when I went to take it out, it was really flaky crust. And what happened was the crust kind of split in two, you know, <laughs> like a croissant would. Oh yeah! But it was it was actually very very good. Yeah, I, I never would have thought to put pizza on a croissant. But it was very buttery and it's quite good i'd recommend you try it i'm gonna have to look for that that sounds quite amazing yeah it, it might be good in one of your skillets it just might be <laughs> or my super heavy cast iron uh, pizza pan that i have <laughs> yeah that's what i was thinking yeah. we used yep. to love the DiGiorno's uh, chicken supreme but we have not been able to find it for the last couple of years so i don't know if they just don't have the, the chicken supreme one anymore or what Chicago pan pizza in Chicago, though, is the best. Mm. Oh, yeah. yeah Chicago is known for pizzas, right? Yeah. They're Uno's. The chain Uno's originated out of Chicago. And the real Uno's is nothing like what the Uno chain became. Um, but the. the yeah, uh, no, not. You know, the, um, there was a place called Dewey's in Chicago that the pizza crust was had a lot of cornmeal in it. And they would put lard or something in the bottom of the pan, so they the bottom of the crust would get real cru- would get real crispy. Mm. And you had this, you know, really nice consistency of the dough. If you ordered a sausage pizza, they would take ground sausage and make it into a patty, and the patty was as big as the as the pizza, right? So, so every inch of that pizza was covered by sausage. I mean, it was <laughs> really, really good. And and, wow. the, and the pizzas are huge. They're about, you know, inch and a half, two inches thick. So my wife and I went in there 
back in 1977 when I was uh, in training in Chicago. We ordered one. We ordered a large one, and the waitress looked at it. She goes, "Well, you guys are obviously aren't from here," <laughs> and you know, brought this thing over. We were eating on it for three days, but oh, it's 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 just beautiful pizza. It does sound really good. If we're talking about frozen pizza, I think it's DiGiorno's has a margarita pizza. Oh, that is one of my favorite frozen ones. It's just fantastic. Oh, wow. So after eating a large, you get dizzy? <laughs> yeah, well, it's, it's it's the salt all the way the, around the edge the edge oh. of the pizza crust. <laughs> oh, no tequila. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no tequila. <laughs> now, isn't margarita pizza just like a uh, a tomato pizza, isn't it? For the most part, yes. I, I, there's just something about the mix that that particular company, like I said, I think it's DiGiorno's, but it's the mix of whatever seasoning they put in there just puts it over the top. Yeah. So what did you get on your heart? Who had the heart-shaped pizza? I did. I did. What did, yeah. you, what did you get on it? It's a pretty basic pizza. It's just their cheeses and pepperonis. The thing is covered in pepperoni. But it's good. You take it home and bake it yourself. And I don't know, there's just something about it. It's just, I couldn't eat it every day. Special occasions, I think they do a Christmas one. And they definitely do a, a Halloween one. It's, it comes in the shape of a pumpkin. So, or a jack-o'-lantern. Fun specialty pizzas they do for holidays. It's just kind of cool. Yeah, that sounds really, really fun. Yeah, it's good. Commercials. That's what I was going to ask everybody about. Did anybody see any of the commercials during the Super Bowl yesterday? Anything stuck no. out in your mind is really good? No, I didn't. <laughs> I know, that, uh, that was a good game, a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was pretty exciting at the end. Once again, like most of the games have been this season. Yeah, close yeah. one. Come from behind, 16-20, and boom, <laughs> 23. I just can't imagine being Matthew Stafford with one yeah. of the worst football teams in the NFL. They've been nowhere. Okay, so... Rick, I'm going to tell a joke. So, you know how the kids in Detroit learn how to count? No. Oh and one, oh and two, oh and three. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was one and fifteen every year. <laughs> but I just can't imagine Stafford being with that disastrous team for all those years and switching to L.A. and. Boom. I mean, everything comes together, and he's a Super Bowl champion. He's got a ring. I mean, that's an American success story. That's just Hey, Scott. It's yeah. Kevin. It's amazing what a good line in the top receiver will do for your game. <laughs> <laughs> and as far as any Detroit fans, sorry about that, but Jared Goff, he always had that deer-in-the-headlights look, so that's kind of why they unloaded him. Yeah. Yeah, it was not a fair trade. (laughs) No, I knew it when they made it because I had seen golf for three years. Got talent, but he also had happy feet back there. Yeah, it's unfortunate for Detroit because they're they're kind of stuck again. But uh, well, yeah, yeah. you trade. I love that you trade a guy like Goff to a who's already got a deer in a headlights look to a team that doesn't have much of a line. That really works. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. At least now he has a reason to be scared. Yeah, he has very good reason to be scared. <laughs> of course, being a uh, Vikings fan, it was uh, 
it's always a treat when you look down the schedule and you see Detroit twice on there. It's like, oh, I'm feeling a little better about this season. <laughs> Being a Minnesota fan, you glad y'all to get Harbaugh, aren't you, in coach? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that didn't work out. Does anybody uh, here have a phone besides an iPhone? Are we all iPhone users? iPhone here. Uh, okay. I had to make that choice. Actually, I was kind of going in the other direction. And I had a friend years ago, and he just... One day he called me up and he started harping on me. He's like, you got to get these iPhones. They're great. And I said, oh, but I got to learn a new system again. And he was great. I just have never looked back. I uh, I don't own a PC. I've got, well, I do have a PC laptop, but it sits. It's collecting dust because uh, I just love everything I have Mac. It just works. So mm-hmm. I almost got an Android about eight years ago, and my little brother taught me out of it. He said it's not blind friendly at all. He said go to Apple. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I've had good luck, and um, I, I just so many of you have the iPhone. I'm always surprised when I come across somebody who does not have one. Uh, I think the iPhone is so good for the visual impaired because of voiceover. I don't know about talk back on the Android. It's terrible. <laughs> There's the answer. <laughs> Yeah, I really, I don't know anything about them anymore. I uh, I know I see a lot about the new Pixel, and I'm like, hmm. Mm-hmm. But I just haven't known anybody that own one, so I don't know anything about them. Yeah, on your own. Yep. <laughs> I still use PC on the computer. Oh, Lordy. Oh, PC. Oh, yeah, I love my I love my PC. I also have a Braille Sense, but, but I love my PC. It's just so much faster to do everything. I mean, I can do things on the Braille Sense, but it's a lot slower. But it's good for editing for Braille. Otherwise, I love my computer. I use my iPhone for email when I'm out and about. Mm-hmm. But I'm not real crazy about using my iPhone for email. And I never use it for uh, Internet. My husband does all the time, but I <clears throat> prefer to do that on my computer. Does anybody have any apps that they've downloaded uh, that they absolutely love and they'd recommend to the rest of us? I don't know who uploaded one app on my iPhone. It's called One Step Reader. It just appeared. Oh, okay. Hmm. Sometimes if you don't use them for a while. It's an OCR. Sometimes if you don't use them, yeah, they'll disappear. I have my, uh, the typical Uber, Lyft, access Mm -hmm. services. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Sadly, some of the stuff I use the most is like Word and Excel and that kind of stuff. Well, of course, Zoom. Zoom I use a lot, and yeah. uh, I have a couple of, you know, business things, B&I Connect, and a couple of those kind of things. But, yeah, I, I'm not, a lot of people play a lot of games and stuff, but I, I never have time. <laughs> I know. No games. <laughs> no, I've got one or two good games on my iPad, but I just, I'm, I'm like you. I just don't have time to play them like I should. It's just too many other things going on. I monitor, like, five email accounts on my iPhone, so... There's enough for me to do. (laughs) (laughs) That's for sure. I've got three, and that's probably two too many. (laughs) (laughs) But there are also other apps on the iPhone, like My Spectrum for the cable and Internet. Uh, I have Amex, so I monitor my credit card. Hey, I haven't paid this yet. Then there's Wallet Hub, uh, monitor your credit score. One that I like for work, and I'm, I'm starting to rely more and more on it, NIAC has a really good, I think it's called MOMA, M-O-M-A, 
Mm-hmm. And um, I think they're on their second or third generation of it. When I first downloaded it, I thought, well, okay. And then I just kind of quit looking at it because it was kind of frustrating. It was hard to get the information I wanted. But I tried this new one, and, man, there's a lot more quick information on there. I really like it. So I, I will say they have a great app, and I'm finding myself using it more and more. What does it what do? do? I'll go on there and I'll look at like I have a college and I've got a number of my machines set up with card readers at the college. It just gives me a real good sense of how busy we are and how much Mm. time I may need to spend at the at the college during the week to make sure everything's filled up. So is that IMAX? Is that is that a different credit card company? The IMAX down here we have US Technology. I wish we'd get rid of them. Oh, okay. I like USA Technology once and sometimes, but sometimes. When it goes down for two days, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that a common problem? I mean, is there? Do they have a lot of network issues? Or well, uh, the weekend before uh, New Year's last year, it, it went down for the whole weekend. At least they gave all our credit cards to us. You know, not knowing what you had sold in credit cards and the data, it's kind of ridiculous for, for three days. I would like, I would like to look into IMAX. I've heard a lot of good things about them. Yeah, I'm a believer from what I've seen. Now, I, I can't say that my experience is the same as everyone's, but from what I've seen in the company and what they've done, I, I guess I, I like it. I'm pretty convinced they're a good company, but I, I can't say as I have anything to compare them against because I've never had any of the other companies, but I've been pleased with them. I know they have great customer service. If I ever have any issues, I call them and I if I don't get them right away, they will call me back and they will walk through issues with me and it's it's been good. You don't have an hour and a half wait to, to get a hold of them? <laughs> it'll try to get a hold of somebody and if it does it within like a couple minutes, it'll say, well, just leave your phone number and we'll get back to you. Uh, I think the longest I've had to wait is 45 minutes. Um, they're pretty pretty prompt about getting back to me. Usually it's within 15 minutes they're calling you back. So Well, you, uh, I had a problem Saturday with one of the credit card readers. It wasn't rebooting at all. I, I had to go do the other other, uh, other stop of the rest area, come back to them because for three hours they called me back. At USC Tech, they've been riddled with problems for probably five to ten yeah. years now. They in fact, they dropped the name USA Tech. You know, they bought out Cantaloupe 10 year, years ago. They fired their CEO here was three years ago and got a new one. And things haven't really improved yet. They changed their name and stuff. Uh, mm. You know, it's just, uh, you know, they just can't, for some reason, stay on top of things. And no one really knows why. It, uh, but they are quite universal. You know, if you um, you have a combination of micro market and vending machines, you, know, you can use the you know the same banking service and stuff like that. You know? yes. and similar to like par level, you you can use your card readers on your vending machines versus and also on your micro market and, uh, and have just one banking supply and stuff like that. Um, you know, so that's the advantage of um, Cantaloupe and um, USA. Tech I, do, I do, I do, I do like, I do like that reporting system. that reports and everything on, on Cantaloupe. Yeah. I do yeah. like that. Yeah, they've been at it for quite a while. Yeah, and um, you know, par level is is comparable to them. Um, you know, if you're looking at strictly at card readers, you know, then you may want to look at um, NIAX is, is good and it's, it's uh, less expensive. Um, you got par level, and you got uh, Crane. Crane is probably the Cadillac of the in in my mind. You know, the, uh, but it's strictly for vending machines. You know, it's, you can't yes. interchange vending and 
a micro market mm-hmm. with it, which is on fall. But I mean, it's not just extra paperwork. It's really in extra banking services. You got to subscribe to in order to. But if you have USC yeah. check or you know power level, you can have one banking service and take 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 care of. It. But the problems is vending isn't much different than a restaurant. Your reputation is only as good as your last sandwich you served. <laughs> if your vending machine or your micro market is down for a couple hours. Either day, you may not come back. Like last week, I had a problem with a, with a coffee machine on rest area. I just walked up, and the lady said, just, just take my money. I said, hold on a second, let me open it up. Handed her money and did a test and gave her, I said, here's a cup of coffee. I said, I'm sorry about your problem. And I went in there and started looking at it. I said, I see what the problem was. It was a power source. It was it kicked it off. And I, and I had to go in there and flip the switch and everything. But... It happens, like you say. Um, Nyax was going to, um, Harry Kozlovny, um, it can't be at the panel on Wednesday, but he said Par Level, for the most part, uses their um, system for the most part. So he said they could tell about it really well. So They're getting the more cooperative. Most of the companies are getting more cooperative agreements where they work off each other, and it's which is going to end, end, you know, I hate to say it, but that's, one of the benefits of a pandemic, it, it got a lot of these companies fast-paced on technology. They, they all jumped on the bandwagon and got going. And like anything else new, it takes uh, a few months or a year or so to get the bugs out of it. But one thing, the, the cooperation that they're getting within their own community is going to be a big benefit to us as blind vendors. I don't know about some of you folks, but I've been kind of looking at the percentage of cash opposed to cash lists. And when I started with card readers, I would say 25% of my sales were cards because it was new. People weren't quite sure of the technology, etc. And knowing the American public, I knew that almost all of us carry cards these days. I mean, it's it's hard to find somebody who strictly uses cash. So I thought, well, we'll see. I think at this point, I'm up to about 80% of my sales are coming through the the card system and 20% is actually cash I have to take to the bank. So I'm not sure if the pandemic has driven that even harder, but that's pretty impressive. And that's what I've been seeing throughout the industry. It's my 60, 40 right now. Okay. uh, yeah, me too, 60-40. And the NFC is doing well, the tap. So it's really contactless. I would be surprised if probably the next 10 years there's no cash. Who was telling we're us? Moving, yeah. yeah, we were moving. Dan was, did we have a speaker come in and say that basically they weren't going to put coin mechs or validators on machines anymore because they felt like everything was going totally cashless? Trying to well, think when the micromarket industry started out, they were going to go all cashless. And there, there is um, a couple of companies that are doing nothing, but you can buy a machine that is only cashless, you know, which is good. But like the, uh, the retired uh, chief of security for United Kingdom, he made that statement about five, six years ago. He says, um, the banks caused the economy to crash in 2008. Is do we want right. banks to be controlling our monetary system? So currency should stay around, but I think you know with the pandemic, current in is going away. Um, coins are going away in Europe. There's um, you know, move several countries, European countries, are uh, limiting coin. And uh, well, the Magstripe, the Magstripe is gone, so it's all computer chip now. And Europe did that 25 years ago to get rid of the Magstripe. And so it, in the United States is 
usually behind on technology like that. But, uh, you know, when the chief of security from the United Kingdom says, do we really want the banks to have control of our monetary system? He's probably got a point. He's got a, you know, we don't want to eliminate cash, but uh, we can certainly tie up the security issues on the use of uh, credit card and plastic. We should be capable of doing that. But that's, the pandemic is changing a lot of things, and we just have to be aware of it and take advantage of add add the sugar to the lemons and uh, make something sweet out of it. Yep. It's change shortage too. You hardly see anybody giving change a big a lot of change back, you know. And um, yeah. And some banks will not give you gold dollars at all. They won't. They, they, you have to order them especially to get gold gold dollars. Yeah. There's a shortage. There's a shortage of coin because um. People were uh, were not using. They were keeping it at home and whatever else. And the mints shut down at the start of the pandemic. The uh, the mints uh, stopped producing for a while. So there's an overall coin draw, which which helped drive the the use of the cashless systems. You know, by the shortage of coin and the, the currency and the the cost of producing a coin is uh, you know so they you know, they like to get rid of it. They like to get rid of coins. Period. Uh, and go to paper because it's so much uh, more efficient. But uh, you know, that's all things that we're used to. That you look back in the history of the, um, the Randolph Shepard program when it was passed in 1934. It was pretty much newspaper stands. Then they yeah. put cafeterias yeah. into the post offices. And then they, um, you know, kept went to all cafeterias all around. And then vending hit in the the late 60s, early 70s, early 60s and late 70s, cafeterias are becoming a dinosaur now. Now we got snack room. Now we got micro markets. We got pantries. Uh, and so that's the unique thing about this program. It's been around and we have the ability to change and accept that change. And that's purpose why we have Sagebrush is uh, so that we have a chance to talk to each other, network with each other and find out, oh, okay, John over here, he's doing, he's selling this, or he's using this, or he's using this brand machine, he's this brand validator or whatever. Well, Joe, he's, he likes this one. He'd ask the same question to three people, and you'll get different answers. Answers. And none of them are wrong. So, but it helps yeah. you make yeah. the decision of what's best answer. for your situation. That's the fun of the, this industry's program. You know, yep. that's really what makes it interesting. Definitely, definitely. And and Dan, you, you got me thinking about 10 years ago, credit card technology was coming. And I, I don't know about other states, but here in Minnesota, the blind vendors were really kind of fighting against it. They said, oh, you know, it's, we can't accept it because it, it's hard for us to read what's, what our sales are, et cetera, which I understand. But um, I think, wow, if if we put up a thing today where we said, well, we're going to come back and pull back all those credit card readers, nobody would give them up. We love them. No, and, no, no, right, right. And change comes, and we've got to be prepared to embrace it and not yeah. fight with it because you're just making things harder on yourself. It's like ice cream machines. Yeah. Some models are not supposed to be outside. I've had a problem since all the cold weather. It's automatically shutting it down. It's going into yep. danger zones. I was shutting it down because it's outside. It's yep. too cold. Cash with advances made in cashless. Cashless entered the vending market uh, in 2000, 2001. At that time, there were six companies starting up in it. And the problem was the software alone for your computer to run the cash system, $450,000. 
That's 20, oh, 20 acres ago. And so it didn't get a very good start other than with Canteen or a few others that uh, could afford something like that. That was your startup cost, plus you had to buy your hardware, plus you had to pay your banking fees. Banks didn't want to handle uh, 50 cent time candy bars were 75 and 85 cents. They didn't want to handle transactions less than $10 or whatever. And so the banks charged a, a 12 to 13% fee for using it. Well, as time went on, technology grew, you know, tech, you know, computers and everything grew. Banks no longer processed paper stuff. It's everything all done electronically. So now your banking fees are down to anywhere from two and a half to five and a half percent. And you can buy the, the card reader for 150 to $450, depending on which brand you buy. Uh, so the, the whole yeah. market has, is like in everything else, uh, once you get out there and get some good competition, the price does uh, come down and make it uh, feasible for small business people to really participate with it. And that's, again, I, I don't want to be in my pulpit too much here, but uh, <laughs> that's where we learn this stuff is that sagebrush and events such as this. And too bad we can't be in person where we can actually get our hands on some of this equipment and talk to these factory reps. We know what's coming because they, they've got stuff in the R&D department that's going to come out in April, May, June, next November. They're going to bring, and they know about it and they can tell about it. So we can kind of watch out for it and see which other companies are going to be bringing this type of technology to us. Uh, I guess I've never, I've been to Sagebrush for over 20 years and I've, I've never walked away dumber. I've always learned something and sometimes yep. more than I can handle. <laughs> yeah, I can relate, Dan. I can, I can tell you every time I went to Sagebrush before I got super heavily involved with it, I'd go home and, and people would say, well, how was the convention? And I'd say, well, there were a lot of good speakers and I learned, but I probably learned more from Joe in Texas than I ever did from anything else because you could meet other folks sit out and visit, yeah. like you said, yep. you'd learn so yep. much from other people actually doing the same work you are. It was just phenomenal. And I just knew I had to be involved in it. Yeah. I'd like to throw this to the group. I don't know if it's a federal thing. My bank charged me $20 for depositing more than 10000 a month. I think they're trying to discourage. Oh, yeah. They'd rather yeah. do. Was it Wells Fargo? Uh, it's a local bank, American Savings Bank. Oh, they hmm. charge me $20. What is this? <laughs> You're giving us too much cash. We have to count them. <laughs> no, I can't, I can't say as I've heard other than that. Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo will come up with a reason to charge you for something. <laughs> yes, yes, they will. I'm not a yes, fan of Wells Fargo. I encourage people to stay away from that one. But. <laughs> yes. Hey, I've got a question for everyone. You folks remember David Letterman, and every night he'd have his top 10 list? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Uh, my top 10 tonight is, what are the top 10 things I wish my customers knew about my business or me? We could go either way. How about my business? Anybody have a thought on, you kind of wish customers knew what about your business? Satisfaction, happy, good products, camaraderie, <laughs> fellowship. Okay. I wish they knew that I was a sole proprietor. I'm not a big corporation. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm looking at somebody who, you know, that's right. care of themselves. So that, that I kind of wish uh -huh. people knew about me. How about you guys? Who wants to add to that? I wish they knew that uh, I give good customer service. <laughs> they don't see you when you're with a busy machine. 
They don't know you're giving good customer service. That machine's full. Dan, you have any thoughts on that? Look, I, I, I've always been a firm believer in uh, customer service, and you know, I always had the philosophy that uh, if someone calls me with a problem with a vending machine, within we'll be there within two hours. And sometimes I was always away, and I have one of my family members or one of my other drivers make a run and fix that machine if possible. It just takes time to build that reputation. You, it's like um, respect. You can't command it. You have to earn it. People will soon, you know, after a few years, they'll see that uh, you are responsive and very mindful of customer service. You know, but it just uh, you have to have patience, and you say you can't command it. You have to earn it, and best way to earn it is just uh, publicize and, and, and follow through what you say. If you say you're going to do something, make sure you do it and build your reputation. Before long, you will be having companies after companies, even though we're all primarily in government buildings, facilities, these people have friends and relatives and whatever else working in private sector, and you will be having people call you wanting to take care of their vending machines in their particular private facility once you build your reputation in your community or your area. But it just takes time, and it gets to the point then you can charge you know, build that into your price structure, and they, they won't mind. Artists, are you on? What would you have to add to our top 10 list, artists? Thinking about back in your when your vending businesses were going, what would you have wanted customers to know about your business? That I was always fair-priced, and I always tried new products. I always listened to customers, and if they wanted me to try something, I'd try it once, and if it was a failure, well... But uh, yeah, I was just really worked hard to please people. Anybody else? Norman. Yeah, Norman. One thing I wish customers would kind of know is that because of our size, it's harder for a small folks, you know, because especially on a military military base where these and these other companies can buy things really cheap because they're so big. Exchange. That has become a problem. The, The big have gotten bigger. It is tough for us as independent business people to fight off those canteens who uh, they go yeah. out and they buy in such bulk and they can turn around and sell stuff to their people cheaper. That's a hard one to win. It really is. But I will go back to Dan's answer. If you provide excellent service, that's going to yeah. overcome much of that. Would you say, Dan? Oh, yeah. And again, it just takes a while and they do uh, after a while, I appreciate that, and they'll spread the word and for you or whatever else. But uh, but you you can't price gouge either. But Norman is so correct that um, because of our size, um, we don't have the purchasing power that the Canteen or Cisco or uh, McLean's or anything else has uh, out of our reach. Uh, that's going to tighten up because even like the vending vending supplies, you know, there was at one point for many, many years, there was only one national supplier for vending machines. And there was just dozens and dozens, hundreds of um, small and regional vending suppliers around the country. Well, that bigger company is buying them up slowly, mm-hmm. but surely uh, our choices are getting less and less. And so we're uh, isolated and you know, we still have the big box stores, but the big box stores sometimes don't have what uh, our customers really want. Mm-hmm. So we have to, it's a problem that we've always searched for uh, an answer to get better pricing, you know, for uh, all of us. And uh, it's a tough. And well, we, you know, that's about 15 years ago. We went to Dallas, Texas, met with uh, 
leadership in McLean's, and they were really, really ready to go with us. And at that time, we were paying um, 45 cents for a Snickers candy bar. And if we could have bought it through McLean's, we could have got it for 30 cents. Mm, oh, you know, wow. that, you know, that's a Mars. But then big, big well, we, uh, we, down in, we spent three days down there. Then um, they had um, 23 distribution centers around the country. And they got all the distribution managers on the phone in a teleconference. And um, six of their facilities were maxed out. They could not take on any more business. They could not take us to our, our end of our meeting. But that would have been fantastic if we they don't didn't have all the stuff. Some stuff are packaged just for vending primarily. And they, and they would have been willing to bring some of that on. But they had these six distribution centers that were maxed out. They couldn't handle any more business without building onto their building, adding trucks. And hopefully, you know, that might you change, you know. Do uh, people so that we, do we, like group buying? There are areas around uh, around your bigger metropolitan areas around the country. There are several vendors who get together and purchase, you know, as a group to increase their volume. And then they get a better price. That's just, that's the American way. Uh, you know, and it's logistics. If they can drop off five pallets full at your place and five pallets full at my place and then another 10 out of the three stops in the truck that saves tru- trucking time. But if they got to drop a half a pallet off here and a half a pallet off there, that's increased cost for them. So they got yeah. that's going to be built into their pricing structure. Where if you mm-hmm. get, you know, there's um, several vendors in a larger metropolitan area. Like I always, I converted my garage into my warehouse. And um, so I had everything delivered here. But some will go to um, a commercial warehouse space and three, four, five vendors will rent side-by-side warehouse bay units. Mm-hmm. And then that way the trucking company makes one drop. And then mm-hmm. those, uh, those four, three, four, five vendors, they get the, the advantage and they, they work out the building between themselves. But it take, it's not feasible in, in most areas, but in some of the larger metropolitan, it works very well. And yet you have to avoid personality conflicts too amongst vendors. You always get some of that, you know, but it can be worked out and it has been worked out. It is working in some places. That's something you want to look at, uh, you know, and, and even some, you know, transported, you know, uh, if you, if you buy $2,000 a week from yours and you got a friend that he's buying $5,000 a week, just throw it on. He's only 30 miles from you, a couple thousand bucks of the product you can throw in your van and pick it up in hour and a half time, you can you know, save yourself. There are things like that you can do in the individual groups, yeah. but once you start trying to do it by state by state or region by region, then your logistics gets too costly. Yeah, I had always thought about if, if I hit the lottery and I had a couple million to throw, um, one of my thoughts before the pandemic, I'd have to think my whole model through now after the pandemic here, but before the pandemic, I had thought about, well, if I ever hit it big, I would purchase a warehouse and I would do some mass buying and I would sell cut rate to all the blind vendors in the Twin Cities area here. And my first problem is I've never had the capital to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But uh, uh-huh. I always, always thought that would have been quite amazing to be able to have the purchase power that you could just bring in these massive so loads. Buy, yeah, buy direct from the manufacturer that yep, is, you know. Yep. 
but then yep. you're talking minimum pallet of one product or a truckload of one product or right but um, yeah it, so it would, you'd almost have to be a road operator for it to work for yeah. guys to come over with their vehicles and pick it up because you couldn't afford yeah. to deliver it and still save everybody right. enough money it would have to be they'd have to come to you but i had thought about that yeah. many times and something like that minneapolis st paul is, is a big enough area that, that that could work out there you know yeah mm-hmm. it'd be possible and you could buy direct from mars you can uh, thing, or you buy direct from frito and hershey right and, right that's really and stuff you know if you got enough that it's very possible but it's just a matter of getting the startup to do it <laughs> you know. right exactly exactly i know we have a we have a vendor in st cloud minnesota here he's well he, uh, jerry will be on this week uh, i invited him on for the college panel but he now has a number of rest areas and it's about 70 miles to st cloud from here and he's coming uh-huh. into the twin cities to purchase stuff from costco business because he can buy it so much more reasonable than even some of the stuff from Sam's that he comes in, he'll hit his rest areas or he'll come into the cities, get his stuff and then hit his rest areas on the way back home. And he saves enough. He can do that. And it's like, wow, that's pretty impressive. You know, yeah. I will say this. Sam's don't carry hardly nothing nowadays. They don't. Costco business. Okay. Get this. <laughs> now I've got my craw going here. <laughs> so I, Went to Costco business two months ago, and I wanted to buy some Mountain Dew and Diet Mountain Dew in 20-ounce bottles. They were out. I said, oh, well, when are you folks going to get Mountain Dew and Diet Mountain Dew back in in your 20-ounce? Oh, next week. Check with us in next week. Two weeks. Check with us in two weeks. You kept checking back with them. The last time I was there and I asked, I said, so it's been a couple months. Are you not going to have Mountain Dew and Diet Mountain Dew anymore? And they said, we're going to, we'll check. And they disappeared in the office. They came back. Nope, we dropped them. Who tries to run a business without selling Mountain Dew in a 20-ounce bottle? I'm just, I'm blown away. I just can't believe it. Uh, the little story behind that, Scott, is a lot of your uh, big box store, they um, run into a lot of problems uh, with manufacturers over the years. So most manufacturers in Walmart was probably the biggest uh perpetrator uh, over many years ago they would i'm sure i probably told the story hundreds of times but uh years ago when wall that's how walmart grew they would go to scott engen manufacturing and say i need a do flicker for milking ducks and we they build me a thousand of them and we'll give you 95 cents a piece for them god says oh yeah i can handle that i can do build a thousand months or whatever and 95 cents and then they come back the next month and they say oh we sold a lot of them right away scott uh, we need 2000 that we're going to give you 94 cents for them. Guys, well, 2000 yeah, I can, I can, I can drop it. I can do that, you know, and uh, I can get that done and come back. Next month, they're gone. We, we need 10000 you know, can you do it? Scott says, yeah, I can do that, but I'm going to have to build on. I'm going to have to hire some help. And, yeah, but we're going to pay you 93 cents. So then after Scott builds on, hires, you know, some extra help, they come back to him a couple months later and says, oh, we need 50000 now, but we're going to pay you 90 cents. They bankrupt a lot of small manufacturers. So what consequences of that um, story is, is that um, <coughs> most manufacturers only sell the big box stores for mm-hmm. oversupply, their overruns. And, uh, and, and a lot of them uh, will limit uh, to you know, Costco and uh, Sam's and whatever else. 
they'll mm. only sell uh, no more than 10% of their overall production to the big box stores. The rest will go to the smaller people like us where they can charge a, a higher price in, with a fair markup. So that's why Costco and Sam's would be the first ones that are dropped when there's a supply shortage like there is now. You know, you yeah. produce what you can at a fair market and you have to know your limits and make those decisions as to who you're going to sell to. And that's like McLean's. They decided we were a big operation. You know, all the blind vendors across the country at that time, we had 2,300, 2,400 blind vendors that left. But if they would have had to build on to six warehouses and add some more staff and add some more trucks, it was no longer feasible to them. They knew their limits and, uh, you know, because they've been burned by companies such as uh, Wally World and stuff over the years. That is true. Well, I think I'm up to six on our list. We still got four more to go in the top 10 here. (laughs) (laughs) Rick, are you, uh, uh, are you still on here? Kind of curious from your perspective, from what you know about our group, what do you kind of wish people knew about our businesses? That you really care. Ooh, that's a good one. You know, very genuine people and care about your customers and are good, solid people, good family people and all that kind of stuff. Put a face on the business. Right. That is the thing about the vending machine business that I love and hate at the same time is that it's easy for people not to know us because they just want to come in and purchase a bag of chips and be out the door. Sometimes they don't even see you unless they catch your loading machine. What I always hate is when you go to buy something from a vending machine and there's somebody loading the goddamn machine. <laughs> it's like, hey, get out of my freaking way. That's really irritating. Get out of my no, way, I, you know, I, or give me some product for free, you know. <laughs> I just shut the machine and, and let him go ahead at it. Yeah. I walk inside. Well, I always wondered who the guy was pestering me when I'm filling my machines. Now I know who he is. <laughs> I, I was always, I'm, I'd walk up to these things and I'd be fascinated, fascinated at the mechanics of the machine, you know, especially the Coke machines, you know, the soda machines and stuff. I mean, I remember when I was young and Dan, you probably remember this too, you know, the, um, I used to go to my barber shop, and they had like a Coke machine that had the had bottles in it. You remember oh, these yeah. days? Mm-hmm. And the yeah. bottles were kind of yeah. hanging on. You know, they were they uh, like a chest type. Yeah, it was like a chest, and the bottles were kind of hanging on this thing. You put your money in, and then bring it down this maze type thing, and then pull it up. It was really kind of wild but, stuff. Yeah, but, yeah. Then were there were some neat neat old machines. You know that thing, you think is. Technology was in that machine for those that at that time it was quite amazing. Yeah, and look what, at what it's advanced to nowadays. No, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. And to think about those trucks that would carry around those cases upon cases of glass bottles. And uh, yeah. <laughs> every once in a while at our college, we had a road that was not uh, well maintained that came into the backside of our college. And every once in a while, you'd see a couple cases of those glass bottles laid in the ditch. <laughs> <laughs> Is Kim still on? Yes, I was just doing paperwork listening to y'all. Uh, I'm going to ask you the same question. What would you like people to know about us and our businesses that they don't know? When I first started here, I used to call this program the Sleeping Giant because nobody knew it was blind people running running the vending machines. 
okay. for operating in the cafeterias or the snack bars. It, it was a huge operation that nobody had a clue existed. And I don't see it being that much more popular now. Well, not popular, um, visible. People still don't know because just what y'all were just saying, they don't see you filling the machines. A lot of them or have them on third parties, have cited employees. And I, I think probably drop a few extra coins in if they knew you were blind. And I, I'll take those extra dollars. That, that's something you hit on a high point there, Kim. We did that here in Wisconsin uh, about 15 years ago. Is We had some banners made up that, uh, in particular in the highway rest areas, we um, mm-hmm. had a bank of machines, and we had this big banner operated by a business enterprise program. This person that's managing machines is blind. That really went well. Uh, it really it drew attention to our program quite well. And you know, at the time, that's when we started up a nominee agency and we secured the funds from the SLA to do that. And the signs, as vending machines changed, the sizes changed, we had to augment the signs and that kind of fell by the wayside, uh, so to speak that they didn't uh, allocate any more funds to update those signs. But uh, that is something, you know, probably the only place that knows that we're blind people operating machines are our post offices. Some of our staff in our office, but a lot of your bigger office buildings, you know, you're usually dealing with your building manager or the janitors is usually who you see most of the time. So if we would make a universal sign, that's why Crane signed the machines that uh, put our logo, you know, Randall Shepard, uh, vendors logo on the machines and that didn't go over very well our uh, SLAs didn't buy into that they just went to the regular distributor and bought the traditional machines crane made the effort for it we made the uh, that's something that we kind of let slide by maybe it's something we uh, as a group maybe would think about revitalizing that whole theory of that yeah like, awareness you know, wake is up such that, a wake up that sleeping giant right Great. Awareness is such an th- important thing. And I've heard our program referred to many times as uh, the best kept secret in state and federal government. And it's kind of true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing about the, here down in Florida, every rest area has a sign that says the operator's name, email, and, you know, they're blind. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose some people have a, don't like that because it's putting out a negative connotation, but people need to know that kind of stuff. They really do. I'll use an example. I was talking to the security guard at the college I'm at the other day, and we were talking about all kinds of different issues. And I started telling him about the USBGA, the Blind Golf Association. And he looked at me and he's like, you're kidding, right? And I said, no, blind people play golf. Well, now how does that work? He about fell over. And I said, oh, that's a real deal. Look it up. There's a case where he had not a clue. He had never been exposed to anything like that. And in a few minutes of telling him about it, he's like, that is that is super interesting. It's about awareness. And maybe we have not done a, as good a job as we should making the public aware you know, of who we are and what we're still doing out here. Yeah, there's another, another tool we have that's been available to us for many, many years is that um, you know, the vending machine you have your display, and uh, usually when you make a purchase, it'll say, have a good day, or thank you. You can change that programming to say, thank you for supporting the blind entrepreneur or blind uh, business person, blindness community. All machines for the last 20 years have had a point of sale, a POS display where you can slip a card into the front of the machine and if you want to highlight uh, 
you know, a Twizzlers or a Snickers or a Frito chip or whatever, you can slide anything in there. But then all your newer stuff in the last five or ten years are all electronic displays now. That you can get the, especially on the touchscreen vending machine, you can program that anything you want to say on that screen, and you can you know you can do it yourself. Program that into the on that display. So easy. The most common one would be thank you for supporting uh, a blind uh, entrepreneur or business or whatever uh, terminology you want to use. But let's take advantage of those point of sales. Got them right there. And I often admit not every customer reads them or is going to pay attention, but it's mm-hmm. going to catch a few people. It's, it's, some people will take a note of it. Yep. And, and who knows it's who there, that might be? But it's not using it. I do know that. Uh... Uh, when I got my newest kiosk from Three Square, Kirk made sure that it had a wrap on there that talks about uh, supporting the operator in the business enterprise program of Minnesota. And it's attractive and it, it does catch people's eyes. When I go into that facility, they know who I am and what this program is about. So uh, there is something to that, Dan. And I think it actually says it on the screen as well as the wrap that's on the kiosk. So uh, yep. For those folks yep. looking at micro markets, that's another great advertisement that you can use at your disposal. Yeah, good idea. It's there. We're just not using it. It's, it's a tool right in front of us, and we're not using it, not taking advantage of it. We paid for that point-of-sale display, and we're not taking advantage of it. Yep. That's right. You, you need a screwdriver to take the screw out, but you don't want to go over to cross the room to get your screwdriver, so you pull your jackknife out of your pocket and try to get the screw out your jackknife. Now, who would do that? Why not go get that screwdriver? <laughs> Use the tool that is made for it, and we got right. it, we have it in our hand. We're just yep. not letting it sit. No, you're you're right. <laughs> That's very true. And certainly, if you guys have any other ideas on that kind of thing, we're always about it because uh, this is a great medium to get that kind of word out. Because uh, what's good for one may be good for more. Advertising, if we can do it for low or no cost, I, I think we are the winners. All right. Well, I think I'm up to eight on our list here. I think something that we need to do is in the Randolph Shepherd program. I've always seen 60 Minutes do a story, but I've never seen nobody do a story about Randolph Shepherd Act. The service we provide to our customers. We get a lot of attention in this country. I have seen it mentioned in passing if they're doing an article on a person in the program, but I can't ever think of a news article or anything like that where I've actually seen the act highlighted. Dan, have you? Not on a national level. There's a law every now and then, but not, not as much as we should have. There's been some local stations, the news networks that will run a story every now and then. But um, you could almost count, if you took your shoes off, you could count them on your, your hands and feet. How yep. many stories have been happening in the last 20 years? But uh, like 60 minutes, uh, there's no reason why, but uh, we'd have to develop a good contact somehow and get some good public. Yeah, we might have an opportunity coming up to really bring ourselves above the radar with uh, charging stations that the federal government wants to. That's, that's uh, what I was thinking, too. Yeah, that might be the perfect opportunity to get uh, 60 Minutes or one of those big national news networks to cover that and say, here's what we're doing. Be part of that story. Get Dan Rather on the phone. (laughs) Right, right. What do y'all think we'll see these big charging stations on? (laughs) They're probably the next two or three years. There, there's charging stations around the country already. They've been putting them up Mm -hmm. uh, because electric cars have been around for was it? Uh, well, I think 2010 was the first one I've seen. So they've been around 12 years. So, and people just basically charge them home. But now businesses are putting in 
uh, charging stations and uh, all around, but usually they're employees. But they are putting them around the major metropolitan areas, and they have been for a number of years now. And, and once Washington decides to stop arguing and get something done, it will happen very fast. They'll be putting these. Well, I was listening to a uh, director thing a couple weeks ago, and they're talking about trying to pick stations at rest areas. That's what the federal government, once they, you know, and that's part of the, I can't think of all the terminology they use now, but when they develop all these electric cars, you know, because they've improved batteries so much in the year by year for uh, how many years now they've been improving batteries. And uh, so that's what the big push is to get rid of these. And Ford and General Motors have already committed to that they're going to stop producing petroleum-based uh, engines by 2035. Uh, and there will be no more gas engines produced. It'll be all electric. And the contract that the, for new post office trucks that post office ordered, the ordered X percentage of them have to be electric. Well, they probably want to get rid of the diesel-powered stuff first. That'll be the with the cars, uh, we, you know, they got batteries now that can go several hundred miles on a charge, but the, some still be needed once they get the trucks into that. That's where the trucks will be taking advantage of the charging stations. So I could, once the Congress uh, wakes up and gets something done, I think you could see that a year from now, you'll probably see it that starting and may be completed within five years. Yeah, I wow. know. I, I know. Uh, in Norway, by 2025, which is not that far away anymore, you will not be able to purchase a gasoline or diesel-powered engine in a vehicle. It's all going to be electric. And Tesla has been huge in Norway, and that's not far away from us. I mean, we're 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 headed in that very same direction. But being the United States, we're a little slow to figure some of this out. But it's it's there. The technology's there. It's all coming. I was just trying to think. You mentioned Tesla. It's in the hundreds of thousands of stations they already have out on the road already. Yep. And they're capable. Well, how bad? How bad? How bad is gas up in Minnesota right now? How much? How much does it cost a gallon? I should know. I've been filling up my truck lately, and I've been crying every time. Three ten yeah. a gallon. Three ten. That's cheap. <laughs> you want to really cry? I paid three forty five this morning. Oh. Are we about the, to the, the move to the mainland? <laughs> In Hawaii, it's four sixty, four seventy. Oh, oh lordy. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, that's, that's what they're talking. Oh, the national there, yeah. average will be. Within a year here is about four fifty a gallon. We'll pick a short, short oil. Ninety-two dollars a barrel. Yep. Yep. I think that you're going to see that uh, number on a barrel of oil go up to about one hundred and twenty bucks a barrel pretty soon. Yeah. yeah. And when, when Putin that goes happens, to Russia, <laughs> when Putin goes to Russia, that will shoot up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, to to Ukraine, rather. I think the gas is that high. We get you... the electric bill. <laughs> Yeah, right. Right. yeah, solar power, go solar. Yeah, right. That's why my sister-in-law, they, they have an electric car. And they plug it up here at the house. So they, <laughs> they're outside, outside outlet. They just plug it up, and they say it's, it's a lot cheaper than having <laughs> Yeah. The thing about electric cars up till the last couple of years here is that um, we just don't see the miles you can go on a battery in the wintertime here like you could possibly in the south. It just... They weren't producing, but I think now with the battery technology that's changed so much that uh, they're a lot more efficient and you can get a lot more even in the winter out of that battery than you could before. I have a question regarding the rechargeable battery. It uses lithium ion. 
do we have an indefinite or unlimited amount of lithium that we don't run out of batteries in the future? Oil, you know, you get it. That's a, that's a great question. I know that uh, recycling is so important, but I don't know how much how much of that lithium can be recaptured yeah. and reused. I don't know. We're all going electric, that's lithium, and do we have an unlimited supply? Yeah, I hope yeah. we do. <laughs> yeah, yes, I never heard anyone talk about the the how much lithium is available or how easy it is to harvest mine. Well, I will give you guys a rundown of my top eight, and then uh, I've got one last question for you. For the top eight things uh, I wish my customers knew about me and my business, uh, service. Being a sole proprietor, fast service, fair price. I offer new product. My pricing's good. Uh, we're very caring people, and we're like a sleeping giant. That is my top eight. Kind of uh, switching the subject a little bit, but this will be kind of a fun one to close things out. So I would hope this last question has to do with the best job you've ever had and the worst job you've ever had. <laughs> so I'm hoping that you all say the best job I ever had has been in the business enterprise program, but certainly if there's something else we'd like to hear about it, definitely tell us about the worst job you've ever had. And I will tell you guys the worst job I ever had when I was 16, my buddy talked me into going to work at a turkey farm and <laughs> Two days, that's all I could take. And I said, I am never setting foot in a turkey barn again. <laughs> How about you, Dan? Yeah, I guess I, I, along the same line, when I was 12 years old, one of my dad's friends had a big mink farm. And uh, <laughs> he, they fed the mink, ground um, feathered creatures. And then in the summer, in the heat of the summer, if the mink didn't eat it all, it would uh, fester and grow maggots and stuff. So we had to go out and... My dad volunteered my services to help uh, clean up these, you know, maggots and mink pens and stuff. Watch, not get bit by the mink and attacked, and then deal with. Uh, all of a sudden, you had a 55-gallon barrel full of maggots. You know, I mean, that was the only other thing that would top that when when I was 13 and I was helping my brother-in-law on his farm, and I took the tractor out and nurse spreader out with a load of manure in it. And lo and behold, I broke the chain on the manure Broke spreader. the chain. So I had, a, I had to unload the manure spreader by hand. Yeah. <laughs> and it splashed back in, and it splashed back in my face when I threw oh. it. Oh, <laughs> been there and done that too, Dan. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And the, the best job I ever had was the vending. That was the yep. best I ever had. Yep. I, I would agree. How about the rest of you? Well, this is Norman. And I think the worst job I ever had was when I was a teenager and we had to work at the, um, they had a summer job for us kids. And we worked at the, uh, the old famous Punchbowl Cemetery. They had us kids cutting the lawn and cutting trees to make more space at that cemetery. That was kind of hard work. The, wow. and yeah. I think the best job I had is being a vendor. I only been doing this for the last 10 years, but I enjoy it. Kim, do you have any thoughts about the worst job you've ever had? <laughs> I'm driving home. Hang on one second. Let me pull over. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the worst job, driving home. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my best God. Time. I, like I think my worst job was, 
I was about 25 and um, a friend of mine called. I, I was looking for a job and she says, the dentist I just went to is looking for an, an assistant. No experience necessary. Pays good money. Come in. So I went in. I thought, this is pretty cool. And he did pay good money. Before lunch, he had done two extractions. And I was white as a ghost. I couldn't stay in the sight of blood. And I called him and told him I quit. <laughs> the worstest job I ever had was I worked for my uncle as a deckhand when I was 14 years old. And the blood just coming in off the dish and everything that I couldn't handle it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Rick, how about, how about you? What's the worst job you've ever had? I don't know. My jobs mm. have all been pretty good. Yeah, That's good. The first job I ever had was at McDonald's. Oh. Uh, <laughs> making milkshakes. Mm -hmm. And in the old days, you know, the uh, McDonald's had these. Um, this is actually the Ray Kroc story. Ray Kroc, who started McDonald's, started off and it would spin around. And if you didn't get them off fast enough, the more air they got spun into the spindle, it would eventually get to the top of the cup and then start spraying out the top of the cup. <laughs> so a couple of times I really made a mess, you know, so no, no I, my jobs have been fairly good. Well, good. And I assume that where you're headed now have been some of the best jobs you've ever had. Yeah. I mean, the job I got now that I just got today, you know, or just got announced today. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm just loving because, um, you know, when I was in college, I ran the campus radio station. So this is like coming full circle for me. So oh. it's kind of cool. No doubt. That's exciting. I, I can't wait to see what, what uh, the new endeavor brings for you. Artist, what's the worst job you've ever had? And what's the best job you've ever had? I don't know. I've had a lot, some interesting jobs. Actually, before I lost my sight, I was a bookkeeper receptionist. And uh, probably the worst one I remember growing up, I used to clean houses for neighbor ladies. And this one lady liked you to wash stuff with lye. <laughs> and, oh, it was, it was really bad. You know, otherwise, the other ones I didn't mind, but uh, hers, that was, yeah, I hated to go to her place. But once I lost my sight, um, besides being a vendor for 27 years, I when I first moved to Los Angeles area, uh, while I was getting this business moving I worked for the county of Los Angeles as a voter outreach rep for a few months. And, and that was oh, kind of Lord. fun. I, I went out to different organizations and spoke about all the ways they could vote. And then a, a partner showed how to use the touchscreen voting machine. And that was kind of fun. It feels like a nice job. It really does. But I really enjoyed vending. I probably would have stayed in it if I hadn't moved. But um, after being in for 27 years... I was told I had to go through their training program and start from scratch and uh, would have had to go to Sacramento for training when I was moving to Burbank. And um, and I just didn't think I wanted to do that. And I had gotten my master's while I was in the vending program and I was doing a lot of speaking and writing and training on the side already. So it was a good conversion. <laughs> <laughs> Ron, any bad jobs? Actually, I can't think of one. I really love technology. So I'm into a lot of IT jobs. I was a systems analyst programmer before. I totally lost my vision. But uh, since there's no job out there for me, I had to go into vending. I have no regrets. I am enjoying where I am right now. 
Oh, good. But I still do IT <laughs> on the side, though. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Good, good. Yeah, I know. I um, My original career path was uh, in the auto parts industry. And uh, Dan probably can relate to some of this, but uh, I was in the auto parts industry in the mid-80s. And at that point, computers were coming on board in the cars. There really wasn't much of anything for computers until the mid-80s. It was pretty clear, pretty quick to me that being in an auto parts store, a lot of that stuff was going to start going away because of the computer control devices that were coming. And uh, so I, I wasn't in that business very long. I enjoyed it when I was there. It was challenging. It was fun. I got a lot of compliments being a blind person in the auto industry. And they're like, man, this guy, you know, he, he knows his add-on sales. I could sell somebody plugs and wires and coils for their starters or whatever. I love doing that stuff. It was a lot of fun. But um, yeah, that industry changed quite a bit. And I know <laughs> when I started working at the auto parts store, at that point, horns were the big thing. You put a different horn in your car. And I can't tell you how many times a day everybody had to try the General Lee horn and you got so sick of that horn at the end of the day. But probably the other job that I had that I didn't care for, I worked a short time for a importer, exporter, and we brought in a lot of stuff from China. And mm-hmm. I just didn't enjoy that. That was not my cup of tea. I just, I didn't last very long there. It was very boring to me. I just had no interest. I was only there a few weeks. The guy told me, he goes, man, you you nailed your interview. You absolutely nailed it. When I got there, I'm like, I just don't care for this. As long as you're happy in your job, it's not a job. It's not work. It's fun. You'll enjoy yeah, right. it your last. I couldn't agree more. If you enjoy what you're doing, the day goes by so quickly. Mm-hmm. As a guy, I would like to tell people when I entered the vending, I never worked a day after that. Yeah. When you enjoy what you're doing, it's, it's not work. Somehow, even the bad days, there's something good that happens that'll keep you getting up the next morning and going for that pain again. <laughs> yep, yep. Most days are pretty good in the vending industry. The worst thing, I think, is hiring and firing. You know, yeah. that's one thing I really got tired of. I always paid more than minimum wage because otherwise you couldn't get anybody in Iowa. Every time, you know, somebody was offered another job, you know, more wages, they'd be leaving because I only hired yeah. part-time, you know, help. I didn't need full-time. So that was always yeah. tough. Yes. And then, of course, when I had the cafeteria as well, then it was hard keeping a really good cook. You know, that was tough. Absolutely. It's Norman, I just was one. does anyone know in each state how many of the blind vendors are quitting or because of COVID and what, whatever? And because we don't have not that many people quit, but we, you know, earlier someone talked about the um, Randall Shepherd trying to educate people on that on the program, and we're thinking about doing that because of we need more recruits in the program. Our people are getting older, and we're going to start losing more people, and um, the young people are not coming up. That's true, and certainly if anybody has success stories, we'd love to hear about them. Uh, it's just so important to reach out to the youth and, and get them interested in this business because uh, my thing is I always say that these days the youth are drawn into computers. You know, they, they love to work on computers and they can do so much with computers, which is true. And it's really opened up some avenues for them. But we work with computers too. All the time we do. 
They work with computers too. All the time we do. And uh-huh. I think we fail to share that message with them. Yeah. Our computers are just look a little different and act a little different than some of the ones they're used to. But uh, <laughs> uh-huh. ours tend to go click, 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 count up the change. But <laughs> but we, we do have technology in this program, uh, yeah. especially as card readers we've been talking about. And folks yeah. coming into the program who can grasp that some of that technology, look out. As an older person, I, I struggle a little bit with that stuff. But, boy, the youth, are just that's not scary to them at all. That's true. But yeah, it's so important to get our, our word out. Again, we're a great secret, but our secret's kind of hurting us. Yeah. yeah. Well, the youth is great with technology, but a lot of them are too lazy to do what we do. That is the truth. Yeah. Vending is not easy. It is hard work. Well, I think um, the work ethic has changed dramatically decade after decade. The work ethic is, uh, is really, I guess, to be blunt, has diminished. Um, you know, that's where look at uh, people, younger they want flexible hours. So I think what, you know, we need to express upon them is that the advantage of being a, a, an entrepreneur in the Randolph Shepherd program is you have control of your hours. You can pick and choose your hours with some exceptions. You know, you don't have to be at the office at uh, seven every morning. You can pick your t- starting time. In the meantime, if you want to stop and get a haircut, you can stop and get a haircut every driver stop or whatever. And the advantage of um, you know being a small business person is that um, the harder you work, the more money you earn. Uh, where if you have a nine to five job, your your paycheck can be the same every week. And we get all you might work, you might produce twice as much, have twice as much production as the person at the desk next to you, but your pay is the same. Yeah. You're not going to earn any more. You know, so you have to impress upon them that more effort you put into it, more uh-huh. return you get. Where if you put effort into a, another employer, they're they're the ones that gain. Uh, and so I think the blindness community they need to understand that uh, the technology is a major part of our uh, current and future, and uh, and the, the flexibility that they desire is there for them. That's true. That's true. And I, I will say in, in in my career working with employees, and this would probably apply to folks who possibly could be in this program as well, everybody has a different motivator. Um, mm-hmm. I've had employees who are motivated by money. I've had employees that are motivated by prestige. You know, they, they, they take pride in their work and, and uh, they want to be recognized as such. I mean, there's just a lot of motivators that different people have. And, and part of the fun of some of this is figuring out what motivates Bill to work for me. Why, why does he want to come to work in the morning? And what's the reward? My trainee, I know for him, it's, it's about pride that I can do this job and I can do it as well as anyone. That, that's what motivates him. It's not Balance. about the finances as much. Mm-hmm. But it, it's about the pride in his work. That's an avenue we have to capture with with the youth is to show that there's flexibility in this business and uh, there's some great can be some great pride in the work that they do if they keep working at it. And uh, there is some funds there to be captured if they want to work for them and go get them. Is anybody using uh, temp agencies or anything like that for their employees these days? Uh, I would need workers, but I don't know about temp agencies. Are they good? I know uh, when I had my business in Moorhead, I was at a college, four-year college, and I could hire students through a temp agency, and it worked out Mm. so well for both of us. For the student, 
they didn't have to leave campus and they could they could come and work for me for a couple hours in the morning go to their class knock out a couple of their classes come back in the afternoon for a couple hours work some more and then they had time to go over to the library and study in the evening or whatever they were going to do it worked out really well for me i should look in. yeah it's uh, sometimes there are advantages to different types of businesses that you have yeah and the key is always to figure out what advantages they are I'm still working on the prison one, <laughs> other than a captive audience. <laughs> did you see what? Did you see where the, the federal government was trying to start accepting visitors now to the prison? They're doing what? Well, I'm sorry, I missed that. Yeah, I saw that on Fox News the other day. They said that that's what they were doing. Uh, in Wisconsin, uh, they closed the visiting right when COVID started. Then they opened up uh, virtual visiting. And then they opened the visiting back up on a limited basis. Now they closed it again mm. um, because of, uh, of turned in uh, COVID. And they are going to review it next month as to whether resume in-person visiting or not. But uh, it, it's affecting, you know, they started the virtual visiting. So basically that's here to stay. So the visiting room business for the vendors, our vendors have to change dramatically because of, Virtual visiting, it's going to be here to stay. And uh, but, but at this point, uh, the prisons have um, very serious recruiting problems, and so they're really short on staff. So um, and visiting does require extra staff by having visiting. So it may take a little longer beyond COVID until they get their staffing back uh, what they need because uh, they had a very rampant uh, employee retirement when COVID hit. Yep, I, I can say I have seen that too. Our our number of uh, folks who have been uh, told they have to do some extended stay time at our state uh, hotels, <laughs> they've actually cut back on the numbers of folks that they're intaking because they just don't have the staff to monitor yeah. what's going on. We're, we're dealing with that all the time, that we're constantly short of guards in the prisons. And yes, Dan, they have definitely changed how visitors come in one of my prisons part of that was a pretty good part of my business was the visitors that would come in and they basically have ixnayed all visitors uh, they're just not going to allow them to come in at all anymore and it's like wow that's right. that's a punch it's a constantly changing scenario even for the prisons they're still good but there's some things that have changed that makes them not as good as they used to be they were i guess i can probably say this this group, you know, but they were gold mines. Our prison visiting rooms was kind of were gold mines. Yeah. And now they might be reduced to silver mines. <laughs> right. <laughs> or copper. Copper. <laughs> I was going to say earlier, you know, we were making our top 10 list. Uh, one of the things mm -hmm. I wish people knew about my business was to, to leave their pennies at home because at the college, I think folks bring their kids in to go to evening class, et cetera. Uh -huh. And it never fails. About every couple of weeks, I have to make a run to all the equipment and make sure that there's no pennies stuck in all my coin mix. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's old news. That's frustrating. What I got in heaven when I had a university is um, every time I opened a, a machine, I always grabbed the top of the machine. And then when I opened it, I slid my hand across the entire top of the machine because uh, students would try to use their pennies in the machine and they wouldn't work. So they threw them on top of the machine. 
So I tried to clean the top machine off of pennies and get them the heck out of the building before someone else <laughs> tries to put them in the machine again. Yep. <laughs> you could end up with a handful of pennies every day we went on the route. You just, yep. uh, there's yep. always, you know, two, three, four, five pennies on top of every machine. And there's sometimes, I think the student didn't know the difference between nickels and dimes, because you'd find nickels and dimes in it with it, too. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Not to mention cups of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was Rick was talking about the automation on machines. And, you know, every time I open up my coffee machines, that's an amazing piece of equipment. You look at all the things that are happening in a coffee machine, it's quite amazing. It really is what's all going on in there with the with the tank heating the water and all the places it sends water down to actually get to your cup. That's uh, mm. quite interesting. I know if I have one of my machines open at my colleges, you know, the students, they'll stop. Oh, that's what that looks like inside. Can you show me how it works? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've gotten smart. I only run water through there because if it's a cup of coffee, then it's like, well, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just make your bowls out while you got it open. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so Scott, how many ounces of cup do you offer at the coffee vending machine? Uh, I'm using 12 ounce cups. Just one size? Yep. Mm. I do have one older piece that does have 16 and 12, but all of our new stuff has 12 ounce. Mm -hmm. Yep. I offer 16 ounce cups. Okay. I think it kind of depends on what location your machine is in as mm -hmm. well. If I was in rest areas, I probably would be looking harder at that 16-ounce cup. At a college, I think a 12-ounce is a, a good choice. <laughs> Students, how do you dispense your cream and sugar? Um, how do I dispense it? Well, the, the machine's got containers for that that you fill, and then it'll put out so many grams. I don't remember the exact number that oh, okay. they are set up for anymore, but yeah. So it's not like free for all, you know, come and get cream and sugar. Oh, no. Uh, no. <laughs> no. So you you okay. don't program your machine. At computer, uh, most coffee machines program. have okay, minimum good. two control boards to them. And you program yeah. it. You want X number of grams uh, for mm -hmm. an 8-ounce cup, a 12-ounce cup, or 16-ounce cup. You program it in, and you can set it yourself in the same way if you have a bean grinder or even a freeze-dried machine. You can program it uh, to mix however strong you want uh, just by going in and um, doing the programming on the on the full board. Mm. Kind of unique. They're kind of they're, they're a lot of fun to, to play with because the technology can be quite time consuming to for cleanliness to clean yeah. them, oh. maintain yep. them. That's where um, the K cup and the pod packs are catching on so well because there's not as uh, they're not as messy as. Uh, Mm -hmm. we know as a traditional coffee machine. Dan, did you ever have any freeze-dried coffee machines? One of my machines I set up um, uh, for the regular coffee I had beans, and then I put the freeze-dried, uh, and I had beans, for, and then I put the freeze-dried in one of the canisters mm -hmm. for people that wanted to freeze oh, freeze-dried okay. coffee. And, okay. uh, but the beans, but that, that was um, really minimal use to... Uh, People preferred the, the fresh ground beans in their coffee. Because I always used, I uh, went to all the bean grinders. I didn't have, you can buy some machines that are strictly freeze-dried, but I always preferred the bean grinders. Yeah. No, I'm, I, I'm with you on the bean grinders, and it's about impossible to find a machine anymore that does do bean grinding. Um, but 
I have one machine left that's a freeze-dried. Oh, I just do not like freeze-dried coffee. Ah, ah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is my least favorite piece of equipment. <laughs> just don't care for those things. Do you remember the fountain machine, baby machines that they had to, <laughs> in the hospitals? They play coffee yeah. machines and messes. Open one of those things up. <laughs> oh yeah, right, right. <laughs> so, do you guys remember the um, soda machines? They uh, had like five-gallon plastic containers, and you'd pour your one-gallon bottle jugs of uh, syrup in them, and, and then your pump would pump that stuff out, and it would mix with the carbonated water and pour it in the cup, and then the customer would get yeah, their yeah. cup of soda. Oh, those things were a mess. Oh, 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 oh. oh God, yeah, yeah. Thought impossible yeah. to keep ants out of the darn thing. Oh, it was just a oh, nightmare. Yeah. Soda fountain. Yep. You see a long line of ants trooping into the machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the new ones now, if they're out there, they run the bibs. Uh, the bib, yeah. That system looks a little better than... Those four one gallon pouring those things in, man, that was a mess. I, I think the bib, the bib probably would make it a little more interesting to me. But oh, I just hated those pouring those gallons of syrup in there. Oh, I would have been smarter. I would have took it home and poured it on my ice cream. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> about the worst. And the, that and the old original. Well, I call them original. The Trying to think, were they 613 coffee machines that had the, Dan, you probably remember, they had the spiral things that you had to set your throws of coffee on? Is that ringing a yeah. bell? Oh, that was a challenge. Yeah, the 213s and two, 223s and stuff, too. Mm -hmm. yeah. Of course, yeah, I can it, remember the... Uh, once you got them adjusted, they worked pretty good, but it seemed... Uh, it was a it, trick to get them adjusted, though. I mean, that was... Yeah. You talk about time-consuming. <laughs> Yeah, the key was to find a better quality cup so there's more consistency to the rim and so that it wouldn't bind them up. Yeah, yep. Because if you tried to change brands, that would mess it up again. And, yes. You know, just uh, stay with the same brand of a higher, more expensive cup, and uh, it just solved a lot of problems. I oftentimes think about some of the original coin mix I saw when I got into this program. Uh, some of the electromechanical and even the old mechanical yeah. coin mix. Holy man, little uh, fingers would be working on those things as the money came down. And it's like, oh, just don't have those problems anymore. Coin mix are Pretty so much, trouble -free much more trouble-free yeah. than they used to be. It's unreal. Same with your bill acceptors yeah. and everything else are just so much yep. more efficient. And yep. I know uh, we've got some Mars and we've got some uh, Conlux. And those Conlux bill validators, some of the older ones, the old belts will start squeaking on those things, and then you got problems. Yep. But the new stuff, yeah. anything MEI or whatever they call themselves this year, really good. Rubble free is all get out. Does CoinCo still put out a bill validator? Yeah. No. Okay. I think they did. They stopped the validator. They got the coin back yet, or maybe yep. some left over. The six tube changers they have now with the magazine that you can just lift up and pull out. Those are a little nicer than the older style, but uh, they're not completely trouble-free, but they're they're better too. What's funny is I used to have the 4-2 Mars Mix, the blue ones, with change when I was at Moorhead State. Oh, had a lot of trouble with that. But in the prison with tokens, they work perfect. <laughs> it's just the craziest thing. They are just really good working on tokens. It's just weird.
Yeah, and I, I'm trying to think if there's any other manufacturers out there. I know I had a couple of cash codes. I don't know if that name is still around. But the thing I liked about a cash code was that when you put a $5 bill in there or a dollar or whatever, it would just, it would take it and it was gone. It didn't give you a second chance to think about it. <laughs> right <Yeah>. now. <laughs> <laughs> they just grab it. <laughs> yep. Yep. They seemed like they were a pretty good trouble-free system, too. I don't remember having a lot of problem with those. But I just don't know who else is in that game anymore. I just uh, I think a lot of the players in, in some of that stuff have dropped out. and There's just very few people manufacturing that anymore. That's right. Okay, I think i got to go get ready for bed. Yeah, I'm about at that point, too, I think, folks. It's been a very enjoyable evening. Thank you. thank you guys for coming in and uh, spending the evening with us. It's been a lot of fun, and we mm-hmm. actually completed almost a full top ten list. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> yeah. So, All right. Uh, be, be, sure to be back well, with us is, for the rest good. of the week. And this has been fun. An auction yeah. on Wednesday evening. So mm-hmm. that'll, that'll be a, a good time. We've got quite an impressive list of... Yeah, I just sent out a reminder about the auction with all the auction items so all of you guys can see what they are. Yes, and it, it definitely goes to a good cause here. It keeps the RSVA program going, so uh, mm-hmm. we appreciate it. All right. All right, folks. Well, everyone have a great evening. Thanks uh, for stopping by, and Thank we you. will see you this week. Yes. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.